I know what you're thinking. Did he take six shots of whiskey or only five? Now to tell you the truth, I've forgotten myself in all this excitement. But being this is Afterthoughts, the most powerful podcast in the world and will blow your ears clean off, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do ya, punk? It's a, a very abrasive cold open to start the podcast. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Afterthoughts, a podcast where we break down a movie that we each watched this past week. Uh, I am your host, Michael Dixon. With me, as always, Ryan King. I have rights to a lawyer. I have rights <laughs> to a lawyer. <laughs> no, you shut up, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I have rights to a lawyer. You don't have any rights. Uh, get, go take a hike, fatso. Oh, wait, who am I talking to? <laughs> <laughs> if you keep <laughs> complaining, I'm just going to jam my foot into your leg. Um, uh, and that is John Garcia. What's going on? Hey, hey, uh, Dixon, that's a fan-fucking-tastic Dirty Harry impression you got there. Uh, uh, I honestly, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think they could cast you for the prequel to Gran Torino. Oh, wait, that's this fucking movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, John. I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> Can you do cameos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be pretty Eastwood funny. Just Eastwood on your face. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> Eastwood and Trump. That's what I got. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, anyway, be Dirty Harry at a political rally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Clint Eastwood interrogating an empty chair. Yes, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> the chair has rights to the lawyer. <laughs> oh man, President Anyways. Chair, why did you bungle Obamacare? <laughs> uh, anyway, if you can't tell, tonight we are talking about 1971's Dirty Harry. This is a movie about a couple of killers, Harry Callahan. A homicidal maniac. The one with the badge is Harry. Halt! Send Inspector Callahan in. What have you been doing? Oh, well, for the past three quarters of an hour, I've been sitting on my ass in your outer office, waiting on you. Damn it all, Harry. That's the mayor you're talking to. This is no life for you two. Why do you stay in it, then? I don't know. There were a lot of reasons they called him Dirty Harry. And he kept inventing new ones. You don't assign him. Stop! To murder cases. You just turn him loose. Contrary to popular belief, the grittiest films in the Batman franchise were not made by Christopher Nolan. They were made by Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. In Dirty Harry, Eastwood stars as the titular Harry Callahan, a rogue cop who plays by his own rules and completely disregards the civil rights of his suspects and the safety of the general population. He's hot on the tail of a batshit crazy serial killer, and he'll stop at nothing to bring him to justice. Uh, so Dirty Harry, this is a movie that I really enjoyed in college. I, I got on like a huge Clint Eastwood kick. Um, my friend Sam, who has guested before, uh, bought me the Man With No Name trilogy on DVD when I was a freshman in college. And ended up watching those and being like, holy shit, what is this? Like, Clint Eastwood's fucking awesome. And I started, like, watching as many of his movies as I could. And this is one that I really loved at the time. And I watched it, you know, I don't know, probably four or five times over the course of college and maybe the year or two after that. Haven't revisited it since then. And 
since that time, my politics have changed wildly. I am very much not a fan of, of cops. And I was like, this would be really interesting to go back and revisit this movie and see if it's still as good as I remember it. Um, turns out this movie fucking rocks still today. Um, it's <laughs> politics are abhorrent. Um, <laughs> just absolute fascism, pro-cop propaganda that is pretty fucking wild. But I couldn't deny, like, I loved this movie. I was just on its wavelength the entire time um this came out in 1971 it feels like it came out in the mid to late 70s like you can really see the influence this had on 70s films moving forward oftentimes when you think about uh you know like the quintessential films of a decade those are coming in the mid to late part of a decade as the you know style has kind of changed from the previous decade you know in the 70s you think about like you know taxi driver and like death wish and you know these movies that came around in the mid to late part of the decade that were, you know, cop movies or crime movies that, you know, kind of established the style and the, the genre of the era. And you, you really feel the influence that Dirty Harry had on those movies. Um, like San Francisco filmed at night feels like in New York City at night in Taxi Driver, the way that they do that. Um, it's the cinematography is just beautiful. Like it's it's hard to like point to a certain style that it has. It's just it always chooses really interesting angles for every scene of the film. There's some really cool close-ups and tracking shots. The helicopter shot where they have a close-up on the serial killer and then pull all the way out to like above the fucking football stadium is so cool. Um, you know, I don't even know if I've really ever seen another shot like that. It's just such a, like a daring, cool thing to do. Um, it has this jazzy driving score that's really unsettling and really pushes you through the film and, and kind of keeps you engaged and on the edge of your seat the entire time um it's it's just like it, the, the the score really helps where there are these long stretches without any dialogue and that helps to really build the kind of the vibe of the movie and help you to get a feel for san francisco there's a lot of just scenes of them traveling around the city or um, kind of setting up what is going on showing you the serial killer looking around from a rooftop plotting what he's going to do there's i don't think there's even any dialogue for the first like five six minutes of the movie but it's just so engrossing the movie does a lot of showing rather than telling where it's showing you what's happening you watch harry go around and do police work without him having to spoon feed you and tell you what's happening um and eastwood is so great for that he's so good in this movie and it, you know he's uh he's such a nonverbal actor where he can convey so much with a, a sarcastic look or just a grimace and you know exactly what he's he's thinking and going through but the movie also has a really great punchy script that has a lot of fun uh, dialogue for him to say, you know, uh, wisecracking at his superiors and, and things like that that are a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I, I really loved this movie. This, like, it just kind of set the tone for cop movies, you know, like the, the rogue cop who hates paperwork and what his bosses want him to do and he doesn't <laughs> play by the rules. And like so many movies have ripped this off horribly. Um, and, you know, you see it done correctly in dirty harry and like i disagree with a lot of things that the film is saying but i was like just i, I can't deny that like this thing fucking rules it's great um so yeah john what do you think yeah uh so this is my first time watching dirty harry i've been really slacking trying to catch up on my clint eastwood uh i just saw you know fistful of dollars shame about a year and a half ago um before that the only clint eastwood movies i'd seen are anything after grand torino which as we all know isn't 
as good as yeah. anything before Gran Torino. Those are his worst movies. You yeah. gotta you gotta go back to the sixties <laughs> and seventies to get that real uncut Eastwood. Yeah, and uh, this one, I it's I had the Blade Runner problem for me with this, just because when I watched it everything that I'd seen in it, I'd already seen in every other movie. And you know me, I love 2004's The Punisher that basically is mm -hmm. this fucking movie <laughs> with Marvel coding on it and uh, a lot of other cheesy bullshit to it. I don't think that Dirty Harry would ever pull a fake fire hydrant out to give somebody a parking ticket and a grand scheme <laughs> to no, frame them. No, he just them. beat the shit yeah, out of them. Yeah, he would just beat the shit yeah. out of them, exactly. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed seeing John Vernon again as he was chastising somebody, um, you know, it's really great just to hear him give somebody the fucking works, uh, like in this <laughs> clip here. You sick, Vince? Yeah, man, he's got the clap. <laughs> Go fuck an iceberg. Oh, no, wait, that's the wrong fucking clip. That's from <laughs> Savage Streets. Uh, it's this clip. You bought it this time, Buster. I'm calling your national office. Oh, no, that's from uh, Animal House. Uh, it's, it's this one. I don't want any more trouble like you had last year in the Fillmore District. <laughs> that's the one. There we go. Yeah, him trying to give uh, Harry some kind of like reprimanding of, you know, don't don't go do this shit in the streets. And of course, Harry's a badass. So he's it's like, how do you establish yeah. intent? And Harry's like, when a naked man is chasing a woman through an alley with a butcher knife and a heart on. I figure he's out collecting for the Red Cross. <laughs> and John Vernon can't help but agree. <laughs> it's just like... I think he's got a point. Uh, and he's the fucking mayor, too. Like, I was just like, I did not expect... A mayor with a golden be... telephone. Did you notice that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, he's introduced in the credits as John Vernon, the mayor. And, like, in quotes, yeah. he's like a wrestler. Um, <laughs> oh, that John Vernon, the one that's the mayor. Of gotcha, course. Yeah. Like, I know. We all know the mayor of San Francisco. <laughs> Um, yeah, whenever Dirty Harry wasn't, uh, slick talking and, you know, really giving some shit to some punks, um, which I don't like politically agree with. Those are the I'm two the ways he solves every problem is wisecracking or beating the shit out of people or like firing guns into crowds. Just yeah. Like, like <laughs> violence or shit talk. That's it's it. kind of amazing because he talks about his wife dying and he's just like, yeah, she was killed. It was a drunk driver. And I'm like, I thought it would be something way worse. Like, don't get me wrong. Drunk driving's awful. But I thought it would be like a Death Wish scenario where yeah, a bunch uh, of punks rolled up on her and did some shit. And he was just like, I held it against punks ever since then. A bunch of young black kids <laughs> yeah. came and stabbed her in the back. <laughs> ever since then. I've been on a mission then. to clean up these streets ever since. I've been harboring a prejudice against kids specifically. <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, just uh, so many things that his character does that I don't agree with fundamentally. Yeah, <laughs> and, he's and pretty racist. Uh, he only seems yeah. to make things worse uh, mm. in so many ways. And he, he gets it right at the end, but just because he's so tenacious about getting it wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anytime that he's not in the middle of a cool firefight, uh, which, you know, the cinematography really leans into these nice night stylistic firefights. I fucking love the shootout that they have underneath the Jesus saves sign. Yeah. Um, those kind of things that it's like yeah. the style is so cool. The angles of the shots and like, yeah, Dixon to your point, the helicopter shot lifting out of the football stadium was just fucking rad. Um, that was awesome. And then to have the score come in anytime that that's not happening, the score really carries you. It's, it's almost like um, at certain points it was uh, it, it is that it was used at certain points to, create this ebb and flow of tension 
where the tension would break and we'd get into like a bongo drum situation mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like running up some stairs and you're following the beat and the it's rhythm of the music. a lot of, of really music. driving drums. Yeah. Like, oh fuck, what's going to happen? <laughs> and, then, and then like Harry would just get somewhere and it was suddenly like all foley. That whole fucking sound would just carry um, these gunfights and these uh, him hopping around and doing all this other shit. But yeah, I fucking loved it. I had a, a great time with it. Um, yeah, my my one thing in like giving it any rating of stars was that I was like, I can't give it five stars. I don't even know that I can give it above four <laughs> just because he did so much shit that was wrong. I couldn't agree with. Yeah. And by the end of it, I was like, but at what cost? <laughs> I mean, I get it, but Jesus. Um, so yeah. That's that's my take on it, uh, Ryan. Yeah, there's a certain amount of like, is he the only cop in San Francisco? Because he, he yeah. falls into multiple things. And then I like that. He's got uh, partners he, that constantly get injured. <laughs> right. Yeah. All of his partners are out. And uh, he, he takes the first bag delivery and completely fucks that up. Right. And he gets chewed out for that. And then the second time they have a ransom, they're like, hey, Dre, you want to take it? I'm like, why? Is there yeah. no one else that can, <laughs> that can take a bag to a guy? Any duty job um, that comes along. Yeah, apparently, I guess. <laughs> I love everybody free associating about why he's called Dirty Harry. Yeah, that running <laughs> yeah, gag that was, that was funny. That was a good joke. Yeah. Um, this is probably the first time since high school that I think I've seen this. So it's been quite a while. I, I have watched a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, uh, not as many as of late. Certainly his newer things, I would say. Uh, Post-Million Dollar Baby, uh, yeah. Gran Torino's all right, but kind of everything else is blah. Um, Million Dollar Baby is actually one of his only movies that I haven't seen. It just doesn't oh. look that interesting. It just looks like very standard Hollywood studio stuff. Like, that just doesn't really look that it interesting. Kinda, it but, is kind of like, yeah. yeah, it's definitely a kind of generally by the beats, but it's just done well Like at yeah. that point. Well, yeah, anyway, like for Eastwood, now we're getting a sidetrack. <laughs> 71, he starts his directorial debut. By the time he gets, you know, towards these later movies, he's kind of really figured out how to just put a, a movie together really well. Um, he's a really good director. Yeah. I mean, he didn't direct yeah, yeah. this movie, Don Siegel did, but like you can see his input into the filmmaking style and like on imdb now it lists him as like an uncredited second director and like i don't i always f- i wouldn't wonder what to make of See, that when they like after yeah. the fact list people as things that they weren't credited as but like you can feel he had a lot of influence over the production of yeah the, movie. the the rumor is he directed the the scene with the suicide jump attempt ah, i guess like okay. but that's that would be it that's the only thing that anyone seems to say that he probably directed but this is uh, one of multiple Don Siegel, Clint Eastwood uh, pictures together. Eastwood has still since said Siegel is one of his favorite directors, if not his favorite director. Mm-hmm. Uh, in early Clint Eastwood work, you can see the effect that Siegel had on him as a director. And Siegel is awesome at directing action. Like <laughs> the action in this, the shootouts, the, you know, the, the, he one of the things we talked about with other action movies is trying to get a sense of like where are things happening and there are several kind of action scenes where they're either like they're running through that park or they're on two different rooftops and or you know there's a, a copter and a rooftop and a park and a you know right all these things but you kind of know as you're following it like where things are as that action happens and there's still fast cuts within that to kind of hype up that action 
uh, yeah, someone really loves the hi hat. A lot of fucking, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely of the times, uh, uh, music here in the background that really kind of amped it up. Uh, Eastwood is good. This is absolutely one of the like, you know, quintessential Eastwood archetype characters, right? Of what you would expect from him. Um, with that like line delivery that we hear so much more in action movies after this, mm-hmm. right? Of that, yeah, just that hard ass line delivery. Um, yeah, gotta be awesome. Yeah, typecast as a badass. <laughs> I I had like mixed feelings on it this time around. Like it is, it's interesting if I look at it from the perspective of the time period because this is right as R-rated movies are kind of a thing right like the mpaa is not very old by 71 um we've had a kind of few early late late 60s movies that really kind of tried to break some archetypes this is one where it really is just like all action like all violent action um and which in very next year, 70s fashion lots of unnecessary boobs and bush that yeah, so, yeah there was a little curious. yeah there was kind of some <laughs> curious things there yeah. <laughs> um like next the 72 we have godfather right so we kind of are going that's where we're going to and we're kind of in this spot between it so i can see where audiences at the time went and saw this and were like oh dude fuck yeah like <laughs> this is what i wanted this is <laughs> awesome and and yeah it shows a pretty gross san francisco um <laughs> so yeah that's another thing where i'm like yeah of the times definitely like a san francisco and new york of the 70s right people are kind of getting disillusioned with a lot of things mm-hmm. uh nixon being in office like you can definitely feel the undercurrents of this movie like today yeah yeah today it does come off like pretty far right in its stance (laughs) on things yeah uh you know somewhat to an uncomfortable degree this does feel now like a a a poster you know dorm room poster kind of kind of movie if you really like idolize him i don't think he's resented as a hero per se he's definitely an anti-hero yes um and this is this is a good example of a really early, you know, popular anti-hero character. Obviously, there's multiple. I don't know, was it four, or five, fucking sequels to this movie. There are five um, movies total. In the final scene, yes. he throws his badge into the river and then goes on to make four more movies <laughs> as a cop in that exact role. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so it yeah, out. I think. Yeah, the, the other part is as a '70s movie, as an older movie, the pacing sometimes is off like kind of back and forth between things um there's definitely some like unrealistic things uh that are just like for the action i guess um yeah kind of like i feel like movies have done better since then at kind of the same thing with like actually getting into the character and a little bit more understanding because all we know is yeah his wife died in a drunk driving accident yep. mm-hmm. and then he's been a hard ass cop i guess because of that it's never really explicitly said i didn't know um, wife for like so long in the movie yeah it's revealed like, pretty late right yeah. right yeah it's kind of like and then even that scene is sort of a weirdly i kind of felt like interjected to be like hey we, we have to remind you that he you know struggles with this stuff and he might want to walk away from being a cop like just a minute of, of that so that's important yeah. later yeah. yeah um but I will say, like, overall, though, like, the action, the acting, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but the, the guy that plays uh, Scorpio in this, who Andrew we Robinson. also saw, 
yeah, we also saw as Frank in uh, Hellraiser. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, he plays a really good fucked up creepy guy. Like, yeah, one of the best Joker performances I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, his, his laugh in this is ridiculous. Um, his scream when he gets stabbed by a knife is great. Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> yeah where he's like Ooh. running with the knife is like. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do want to kind of get into it because I think it's it, it's interesting to look at, and I do think for that time period, like it's really interesting in that series of movies that just pushed limits of sex and violence in this time period mm-hmm. um, to kind of blow things up in the 70s. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think this movie is really well paced. I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. I feel like that's one of the strengths of the film is, is the way that it moves through from scene to scene. And I think the music is a big part of why that works. But um, I think one of, the, one of the things that'll be interesting to break down is, is kind of anal- analyze this in the context of the Western for both Clint Eastwood and for kind of American movies and where that was going. And like Dirty Harry really feels like an extension of the man with no name character, just ported over to San Francisco as a cop instead of as a cowboy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a time where like America is kind of moving away from Westerns and into cop movies and action movies and, and other things like that. And this feels like one of the big movies that was a big part of that, both for Eastwood and for, American movies at large. Eastwood definitely did westerns after this, but he didn't do as many as he had early in his career. Like, you know, he made his name on Rawhide and, you know, for five or six years on that TV show. And then as the man with no name and, you know, Hang 'em High and, and, you know, some big, you know, Two Meals for Sister Sarah, a lot of great westerns in that era. And then he does Dirty Harry. And, you know, he does stuff after that. High Plains Drifter is great. Pale Rider is great. Um, but he kind of starts moving away from the western and, and it feels like he kind of takes. American movies with him and the movie still really feels like a western he's like a you know a lawman in a civilizing country in the west where like you know the uh the government has come in and put rules around things and he can't be like the free shooting lawman that he wanted wants to be that he you know made his name on you know kind of like uh you know the bounty hunter that has to stop doing what he's doing because now there's actually civilization and and police in the area it feels like kind of an extension of that type of a western story into 70s san francisco yeah and don siegel before this mostly he did a lot of westerns tv shows and a lot of westerns and then he had uh this movie and beguiled with also with clint eastwood in the same Mm -hmm. year and then after that it's like action like he moves on like with the industry as well so it does feel like that turning point where both of them are like all right Let's do some different things, right? All these, you know, multiple movies in the 70s here, right here that kind of come out and then it takes it somewhere else. It's, uh, it's amazing to think about the, um, the Western genre shifting into this local law enforcement role because <clears throat> you have movies like, or TV shows at least, that were all cop-based, like you have Dragnet from the 50s and you've got uh, FBI from the 60s uh, and these other things that are all about the, I guess a more... I would say intellectual hunting of bad guys where they're not so much having shootouts as they are like walking around fast talking and asking people questions about <laughs> like, did you see him over here? And they're like, no, I didn't see anything. And they're trying to like deduce it. But here you just have somebody shooting a man in broad daylight on fifth Avenue. 
uh, <laughs> like walking up and to practically him and, everyone claps afterwards yeah, like giving it's him not like, even a, yeah the dude gives him like a full monologue too before he almost kills him <laughs> like just fucking around harry plays with the the criminals like like a kid plays with their food uh-huh. <laughs> just as like fucking around on it uh and and nobody seems to care I, I love that scene like he's sitting down at this diner like kind of just talking shit with the the chef and orders a hot dog and you know he's like thinks he sees a bank robbery going on tells the chef to call in and and tell the police he's like all right now to sit back and wait for the cavalry to arrive and takes a massive bite of his hot dog yeah. and then he's like oh shit here's the alarms going and just <laughs> charges out into the street hot dog stuffed in his mouth and just starts firing into the crowd at <laughs> at bank robbers and firing at cars and like it's amazing that no civilians were killed or injured yeah. in that yeah. just yeah. shocking like he flipped a car over like all this crazy stuff um you know and just doesn't give a shit he's like you know oh, what what do you expect me to do i had to stop the bank robbery it's like maybe there are other ways that like, you could have done that <laughs> harry the bank's insured like yeah <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> Uh, he's just so determined to solve the problem right then and there. He uh-huh. doesn't give a shit. Um, yeah, and and Ryan, you brought up that he is very much an antihero. Obviously, you would hope that he's not portrayed as a hero figure. Um, but I guess there's this spectrum of antiheroes where the movie is also in on the fact that they're an antihero and tries to make them look not that cool in what they're doing. <laughs> Um, in this instance, it feels like the movie is really rooting no matter what, as though he is the hero. Oh yeah. And sets up all of these boundaries and barriers that are meant to be broken. Uh, it it very much is critiquing like, man, I could really just stop these guys if this goddamn judicial system wasn't in the way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, an advocate for pioneer justice and that kind of shit. (laughs) So yeah, I agree that the movie presents him as the hero, but he does it in his own way. Right. So he's, he is definitely different. Everyone sees him as different. The mayor kind of snaps at him, but then is like, yeah, I mean, you were right. Right. Kind of gives him like the benefit of it. They keep Mm -hmm. giving him these jobs and the other cops all seem to appreciate him. But the kind of like the, the system fails in this movie is that this one instance, he kind of gets to walk away. But if you stop and think about it, this is some like fridge logic situation in the movie where it's like you stop and you think about it and you're like, yeah, no, that's not even what would happen like in a corrupt system. There's no way that they would like let that guy go and not try to find some way to pin it on him or in a more corrupt system just cover it up and pin it on him, right? Like mm-hmm. eh, it's a it jumps a little bit, I think. Yeah. yeah. If they're willing to cover up and allow for Harry to shoot men in broad daylight. That legal system is definitely willing to figure out how to make this guy go away, this killer go <laughs> away for a long time. Cuz yeah. they say that like uh they can't take the gun as admissible evidence because they collected it in this situation where dirty Harry like broke into his place, which like, well, like search okay. warrant. yeah, I'm like, okay, but he is stabbed in the leg and we have a different person who can corroborate that. And dirty Harry knows he stabbed him in the leg and he saw his face and I'm mm-hmm. like, there's so many other things. And I'm like, and he told them where the dead body was. That's awfully suspicious. Like, okay, he told him <laughs> under duress, but he still told him, right? Like, it's... <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's... The movie feels like a, a backlash toward, like, the, you know, kind of civil rights era politics that is, is actually, like, giving rights to defendants and, and you know, like, actually putting restraints around cops and what they're able to do and, like, you know, uh, allowing them to be less terrorizing than they, they normally would be. And 
it's definitely like it just feels like right wing propaganda where like that scene where they bring in the judge slash Berkeley professor and they (laughs) make a point to say he's a Berkeley professor like that doesn't feel like an accident. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, you just couldn't I couldn't uh, convict this guy of spitting on the sidewalk. You know, you uh, didn't uh, read him his rights. You didn't get a search warrant, all this stuff. And Harry's like, what? Like what? That's insane. How how could you not prosecute this guy? It's like, have you? You're a cop. You you don't know about Miranda rights. You don't know about search warrants. You don't know about the Fourth Amendment. These things that like should be textbook stuff that cops are taught like day one of training. Yeah. Um, and he's just shocked, shocked at, at that he's not allowed to just violate everyone's civil rights whenever yeah. he wants to <laughs> get the guy. And it's like he makes that decision because he wants to sit, try to save the girl's life, right? I understand why he makes that call in the moment, like. Look, I don't have time. She's running out of air. I just gotta, I gotta go in and, and solve this right now. I can't wait around. I understand that, but you have to know when you make that decision that you're not gonna be able to use whatever evidence you get. You might be able to save the girl, and that's great, and that might be worth breaking the law and like not being able to prosecute this guy yeah. for the things that you find if you can save this person's life. But he's just like does not understand this at all. He's just completely incredulous to the entire thing. Yeah, I will say, though, in an interesting perspective, Miranda was like 1968. So it is reasonably like new in the public's mind and was somewhat controversial. Even now, I would say there certainly are people who, you know, maybe on a certain side of politics, probably think that Miranda is a little bit too aggressive and that people get away with things. Right. Um, And so I think that is interesting that from the from the perspective of the movie, I could be like, yeah, Callahan's probably been in before those laws were in place. And he does feel the like, oh, now I'm getting like told I have to read this damn thing and I can't yeah, yeah. go in and punch them in the middle of an inter- interrogation. And Why I don't can't, you just give me a copy you know. of Moby Dick too? What do you want me to read, <laughs> Chief? <laughs> the good old days where we could pretend to be hookers and have sex with them and then we'd yeah. arrest them. <laughs> <laughs> All I need to read is the number on the back of my casing, 44. <laughs> <laughs> I had like another thing that I kind of wanted to to bring up here, which was, um, does it seem like this movie proves that guns don't solve problems by showing guns solving problems? Um, cause it's, it <laughs> seems so? like, so anytime Harry does something, he produces his 44 Magnum immediately to take action. Like, yeah, he's right. Going- <laughs> he just pulls his gun out immediately. Just terrifying any bystanders. He sees a man with a suitcase going down an alley and immediately assumes yeah. that something's going down and he's going to go back there. Turns out it's just hot Mary and her boyfriend. He's about to get his ass kicked by some good old boys from the Bay area, I guess. Uh, and that's, that's when his partner shows up. But then you have like another section where, once the killer is set loose later in the movie, um, after the Miranda rights thing, he goes into a liquor store to, uh, the killer goes into a liquor store and is like, Hey, aren't you that guy who's been robbed 12 times? <laughs> and the dude's like, yep, that's me. And now I have a gun to protect myself. I send most people out of here in like a casket or whatever. And he was like, wow, that's cool. Can you show me the gun? And he pulls it out. And then the dude just punches the guy in the face and takes the gun. And I was like, <laughs> so the thing for self-defense didn't work the way you thought it would to defend yourself. Uh, and there just seemed to be a lot of moments where guns only escalate the situation and don't lead to anything except for cool gunfights. Um, but mm-hmm. when you stop and think about it, you're but like, they're really cool. Gun yeah, fights. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, the man who's going to jump off that building should have had a gun too. Cause that would have been a cool escalation. I'm sure. <laughs> um, I love how, yeah. how he solves that problem by just talking shit to the guy and then punching like, him in the face when yeah. he leans in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, so good. He saves uh, a guy from jumping to his death by being like, 
uh, don't jump down there. You'll splatter all over the, the people down there. He like makes him nauseous until he just, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Gives up. <laughs> yeah, that's good therapy from Dirty Harry there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wasn't sure if y'all were picking up a similar thing here, which is it sets out to make a bunch of cool set pieces and cool gunfights, but uh, ultimately guns are the main villain of this movie. I mean, the villain is also obviously fucking trying to kill people. But I think that that's more to do to like leaded gas is still in the air at this point and probably yeah. driving him <laughs> insane. Uh, <laughs> they do seem to like kind of paint cops versus uh, criminals as an arms race, right? They're like, you know, Dirty Harry has the most powerful handgun in the world. Yeah. Could blow your head clean off. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the he's gets when he's getting a rifle to like, you know, try to like they're trying to bait the serial killer into this one rooftop and, you know, mm -hmm. he gets a rifle and the chief is like, 458 Magnum, huh? This thing will stop an elephant. Yeah. Apparently you like a little edge. The Eastwood's like, any edge I can get, sir. <laughs> and it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you, you're going to shoot straight through that guy and right into the, like, floor below and kill whoever's under the roof. Like, it's, there's no, but it's like you have to respond to guns with bigger guns. You know, that yep. seems to be what the movie is trying to say and it's like law enforcement philosophy until you get your ribs fucking kicked in in which case you should default to a knife uh, right a switchblade really yeah switchblade which apparently it's a, it's a shame that a cop would know how to use a weapon like <laughs> See, that yeah Despite right all of the other guns that are like mass destroyers <laughs> it is the humble switchblade that is judged harshly <laughs> oh my god yeah i do think that that's that 60s time period that had the rise of more gun crime and more of these shootouts that we see kind of reflected in these movies. And it's interesting that against Westerns and a few years prior, I would say Bonnie and Clyde, mm -hmm. there kind of was this look back on the crime of those times and the kind of cops robbers that then we have a bunch of movies like this and The Godfather that then again are all police shootouts, but set in the current time period. That mm -hmm. um, yeah, we kind of just move from like, hey, remember like, oh, it used to be the good old days where they had these shootouts, and it's like, oh shit, that's now. Like, kind of is the sentiment yeah. of some of these movies. <laughs> yeah, and some movies seem to be like pining for that time, and other movies seem to be criticizing that we can still do that today. And and depends on the movie that you pick from the seventies and what it's kind of uh, angling toward. And this one. Definitely does not seem to be critical of that. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, nobody even questions that that guy has like a submachine gun or some shit yeah. at one point, right? Yeah, just like. I also love that when the city finds out that there is a rooftop killer, they put cops with guns on every rooftop as well. Uh, -huh. uh and <laughs> just have a full surveillance state and of helicopters cops. flying around <laughs> yeah. all over the city. They, yeah. they put a cop on every rooftop except the rooftop across from the Catholic Church when he specifically said he was going to attack a Catholic priest. Uh huh. <laughs> he just may figure he owes himself a padre. Yeah, <laughs> he owes himself a padre. I guess the helicopter was there, so okay. Yeah. But, so. That helicopter <laughs> shot was really cool, like where it shows the, the helicopter like zooming in on, like lowering down toward the building and the serial killer like looking up and freaking out that was really well yeah. done i thought really tense too just watching him get ready to kill somebody and then uh it be interrupted i was wondering if he's gonna get away with it or not and yeah and he's just like fuck i'm out of here it just runs <laughs> i love that the cops are like way too high up and they're like you there just put your hands put up your hands definitely up. don't run <laughs> we're giving you too much Shit. time all the cops in the city are on rooftops so when he runs down to the street there's no one to stop him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ta talking about the camera shots that 
you you were saying about it being a movie of the 70s there are definitely multiple times where i sat there and i was like oh man this is that what can i do with the camera question mark type of movie Mm -hmm. because there were multiple shots where i'm like okay it kind of seems cool but today i can look at it and be like all right come on um but definitely like the the zoom out from the football field the whole thing with the football field is pretty cool that's a good location um, when, when they yeah, turn like the, the lights the... on and it's dark and they flip the lights on and the camera is just on Dirty Harry and his 44 pointed at the screen, that shot's super Yeah, cool. yeah. Really awesome stuff there. But there's one scene where he's like walking to the mayor's office and the camera like goes to the ground and then goes upside down kind of as he's like walking by. And you can tell because of the time period that it's just a guy laying there like leaning back with uh-huh, the camera. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, really you reason f- for that. But yeah, yeah, we were just like, what can we do? All right, let's do this. Cool. That looked cool. And then move on. I liked the uh, the Dirty Harry cam that we got occasionally where it would go first person, like when he's um, at the cross in the park. Yeah. Like the... looking up and he, he just oh, yeah, has to look up, up the to the top of the cross and the camera does the exact same angle. I was like, well, this is neat. We get a second to see what Harry sees before he gets the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, pretty rad. <laughs> it's interesting too because there's there's the Jesus save sign in the rooftop shooting that you talked about mm-hmm. earlier, and then when the serial killer is leading him around the city from phone booth to phone booth, and he ends up at this massive cross in the middle of this park, and then you know ends up uh, getting the shit beat out of him, and the serial killer gets away. It's like it feels like there's imagery here that like religion can't save you, you know, like there's the scary evil in society. And Jesus ain't doing shit about it. And, you know, we got to have big men with big guns come in and and save the day. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that they were firing that, like, high caliber rifle right under the Jesus save sign says it all. Mm -hmm. I think at the point that they get to the cross, that's just Dirty Harry is uh, going to die for our sins. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Could be. Making him a martyr. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They talk about how um, they justify a lot of Dirty Harry's. Uh, uh, his demeanor by what did they try? They they like bring him into the office and his his new partner when he meets his new partner, which is another Chico, yeah. Chico which is another classic trope of you getting a partner now. A I partner. I don't need a partner. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need a partner. I've hospitalized too many partners in the past. Well, not me personally, but you know. Uh, and <laughs> then <laughs> him him just kind of being like Chico trying to figure out everything about um, Harry and like, hey, I would just want to be your partner. You need to get to know me. But like one of the first things he gets to know is that Harry's just a racist, like a rampant racist. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, he hates all kinds. And like, uh, I, I love the juxtaposition of the mayor who um, refuses to say certain words. He doesn't say the N word, which is yeah. what the, uh, the the killer leaves in his note. But then like there are cops who just outright will say it and don't even care. And mm-hmm. it feels really dirty despite Dirty Harry being the only dirty one in the movie, uh, a lot of other cops are really comfortable just outing him as a racist on the force. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like they tried to use that scene to make it like, oh, Harry just hates everybody. And like, I think that he even says whites in that long list of races. But like, when you say He's every other race and you say all of these <laughs> terrible slurs for them, it just comes across that Harry and probably that cop, definitely that cop is racist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's not one of those, like you're not making that same argument you think you're making when you're like, Oh, well, Dave Chappelle criticizes everyone. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, the fuck. Yeah. It's like, he's not a stand up comedian. Harry, <laughs> Harry's type five is the fucking chambers. <laughs> That's like all that he does. Uh, <laughs> um, Did he do a tight six or only five? <laughs> <laughs> I'm too deep into this bit to remember at this point. <laughs> um, 
I, I want to talk about the, the way the story actually flows, though, because I noticed there is kind of a formula to how it's set up, which is there's a bit of a thriller aspect where they set up the killer at the beginning. They have a whole mysterious rooftop sequence. He shoots a woman. Um, apparently, the caliber of rifle he shoots a woman with doesn't go right through her, just goes into her shoulder, and then she dies from breathing yeah. a lot. I don't She drowns, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I've, I'm willing to forgive. Uh, you know, it's an impressive shot. Um, they, they might have clipped her heart, maybe. It like, could have been, yeah, yeah. At a downward angle, you never know. But. I can I can talk myself into that. Um, but then, like, from there, it really is, like, hey, here's Harry. Get to know him. And by get to know him, I mean he's got a partner he's pissed off about. Uh, <laughs> all of his other partners are hospitalized. They're going to run the night for a little bit and see what's going on. It felt almost like a, a small anthology series in that first act hmm. where they're cruising around. It's kind of like Taxi Driver whenever uh, De Niro picks up somebody new. You're like, oh, there, here's like a little story from San Francisco. And Harry's like, oh, this guy ran down the alley. I'm going to go chase him and get uh, beat up for be- looking like a pervert. And then there's a jumper. I'm going to go up there and punch him in the face and help him with his problems. And- Each time you get a different reason for why he's called Dirty Harry. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it slowly builds that out. And then it really kicks in later where it's like, oh, yeah, that killer's still out there. So uh, Harry's going to focus on that now. And that's when it felt like the movie really locked in. So I'm, w- I'm wondering, Ryan, is that like what you were talking about with pacing issues that like it kind of. I, yeah, I feel like the end of the movie takes off for sure. Yeah, for like sure. there's definitely a point where the tension is high, especially when, you know, w- we know Scorpio's out there again and uh, Dirty Harry's just following him everywhere, like for the rest of that on. Right. I think that that's really good. But yeah, early we kind of go back and forth from the initial like he shoots him to these like argue you know there's a little arguments about like oh do we pay him do we not pay him there's a little bit of that driving around they see him on the rooftop there's the thing with the guy maybe committing suicide which is like a cool character piece for how shitty dirty Harry is but kind of also has nothing to do with anything else that's going on yeah and we get multiple of like. Yeah, at one point, I watched this with Darla, and she's like, does he work the day shift or the night shift? Because we go from, like, scene to scene of, like, yeah, daytime, nighttime, daytime, nighttime, a couple times in a row here at the beginning, and he's just working all of those shifts. Um, I mean, I guess the same thing, like, the bank thing. Like, those are, I guess, to show him as a character. But it's, it's interesting that they immediately show us, like, the killing, and then they show us who the guy is, so we don't have any, like, mystery or anything in this movie it's yeah it's like a columbo episode we see the person at the beginning you know it's committing, about, it's committing about a crime harry solve the mystery chase like, it down yeah, right figuring that out yeah um but then we kind of like taken aside for a while before we get back to that i think that was kind of where it it dips a little bit and then similarly i kind of think there's a little bit of a break when we know he's getting away with it so to speak where he goes and sees his partner at the ho- at the rooftop hospital. Where the fuck that hospital <laughs> Which, there is a rooftop killer on the loose, and there's a hospital <laughs> with a rooftop patio yeah. that they just like bring their patients out for like recess or something. Yeah, like, yeah. reel Target them out practice. of their beds. Uh, I if I'm ever hospitalized, I want to go to that hospital so I get my like rooftop, you know, thirty minutes a day or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, that seems yeah. solid. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a little bit of a slowdown there to kind of try to give the like here's what the judge says he goes and talks to his partner and talks about leaving and 
it's kind of this break to try to give us some character stuff in a movie that doesn't need it and honestly is just kind of putting it in because it's supposed to. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm like, the pacing kind of tries to give these character moments where in the beginning of the movie, it gives us character moments that have nothing to do with anything and are just to show how violent he is. And then later in the movie, they're like, oh, we need some character moments that aren't him just shooting people. So uh, here's some other stuff mm-hmm. uh, that it's like, okay, maybe you could have mixed it a little bit better and actually given us a little... like. In another movie later, if this is a like a more modern version of this, we would have had the him going to his apartment by himself and he's lonely and he opens his fridge and all that's in his fridge is a thing of mustard in the center of the fridge <laughs> yeah, and fucking yeah. nothing else. Right. <laughs> yes. And then that would have given us like what we needed to know about this guy. They actually uh, do but we don't really have that. Sequels. <laughs> they like have him like eating a TV dinner alone in his one bedroom apartment and like having some sort of romantic fling with the woman across the hall like you know they they kind of do stuff like that later in the in the series but yeah (laughs) you called it ryan (laughs) (laughs) you called it oh man yeah i i would have much preferred to see because everybody shouts his backstory at you like in any one scene somebody's ready to be like that's that's dirty harry he did this shit i don't want anything like this anymore dirty harry like they just list up anything like and don't you burn it down like you did that orphanage, Harry. God damn it. We can't afford any of these things anymore. And like, yeah. I would have much preferred people uh, like Chico or even Chico's wife. It would have been funny if Chico's wife took on the role of asking him more questions about himself and that he just got more and more annoyed as the movie went on. And it's like, I'm so tired of answering goddamn questions from everyone. I'm just <laughs> dirty. That's it. <laughs> Putting a stop to all of this. <laughs> Running for mayor of Carmel. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think it's like the reason there is no character development is because it's so heavily influenced by the Man With No Name trilogy, right? And they're they're clearly pulling that over and trying to have this mysterious character who's just like imposing and mad and and can kind of like have his way with the city and and do what he wants. And it, it feels like they're trying to pull that into you know, a modern cop movie and, you know, maybe they lean too hard into that, but I I think it works pretty well. Like, you know, there's definitely, you know, points where they try to tell, you know, insert backstory that feel a little bit, uh, you know, kind of tacked on, but Mm. I didn't really mind, honestly. I I think maybe it's just because I like that character from the man with no name so much. I liked seeing him in this setting, Um, but it feels like that's what they're trying to do. Right. I, I think so, but like at the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly, he just walks off, right? Or fistful of dollars, yeah, he just uh-huh. leaves the town and he walks off with his money. And it's like he comes in as this force and leaves as a force, mm-hmm. and there is no reasoning for him any more than the violence in the town has a reason, right? Yeah. Like in those movies as well, you know. At least here with like Scorpio, I do appreciate they don't spend any time being like, because <laughs> I I hate this a lot of times. Trying to give him a backstory of how, when I mean, he was a kid, yada, yada, yada. Right, like they don't uh, yeah. fucking care about his backstory at all, right? He's just a violent force. I think then if it was the same thing where Callahan is just this also violent force and we don't need to know why, and there isn't this like, I'm done with the police force, it's like he doesn't fucking care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That right. Might work it, better yeah. If he was like a bounty hunter or something, like I, I feel like in, in westerns, because of the transient nature of these characters, like you just come into this small town and you don't have to tell anybody why the fuck you're there. You can do whatever you want right. to leave. And like he's a he's and a you're cop not the on sheriff. The you're just force a guy right. in San Francisco. Like he lives there. 
he has a history there. And so I think there's some, you know, that's a bit of a handicap where you have to kind of give a little bit more to who that character is. Like they can't just ride in as a foreign force and wreck havoc and leave, right? They have to keep living there. Yeah. That's the, that's the difference. A John Wayne movie, he's a sheriff or he's a, you know, he's supposed to be that kind of figure that's holding some kind of order. A Clint Eastwood movie, he's a criminal maybe already, or Uh yeah, he's just a force that comes in or a guy that just wants to get rich. And then it's like, okay, now we'll put him in a cop movie and do the same thing, sort of, except he's a cop, so so not exactly. This, yeah, it's like... We'll have him yeah. rebel against the rules that the cops have instead. And right, then right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's also that aspect of... Uh, I want to talk about um, San Francisco as a character in this movie, because they oh. use a oh, lot yeah. of San Francisco. How insightful of yeah, you, John. <laughs> I love it. It was almost like a character, you know? <laughs> what, what can I say? Um, it's, it plays such a big role in his chase for Scorpio. Uh, I don't know any of the places they shoot for this. I was thinking of Vertigo when I watched it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of like in that mental map of where you're going in San Francisco. Here they have. There's one shot on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yep. Uh, but there's yeah. a bridge. Yeah. They have the bridge. They list a number of stops that he has to go to when he's trying to be the bag man. Uh, that's the first time, right? With the yellow bag. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene was fucking great. Oh Just yeah, him having to keep up and run, and uh, like Harry's in good shape. I gotta say, for somebody I assumed oh, just dude. like drank liquor nonstop <laughs> and brandishes his pistol everywhere. He's, he's still making movies in his nineties, man. He yeah. was like forty when this came out. He's <laughs> uh, you know he's pretty pretty he, healthy guy. Pretty damn winded uh, as he was going, but you could tell he's putting in the work. And <laughs> I thought he would run into way more punks during that sequence. Um, well, he did run into that random group well, of punks that in one that tunnel. tunnel. Yeah, yeah, like in a tunnel. And that was the thing was like, he runs into people in San Francisco who I guess are representative of San Francisco. <laughs> like he sees a couple that, they're, that are necking in, uh-huh. in the park. And then he runs into, what's his name? Alan or something. <laughs> yeah, he like... runs into a few gays that he's very annoyed that he has to deal with. Yeah. yeah. The fucking guy that he's like, I'm Callahan. It's just like, I'm Alan, man. (laughs) He's just like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Like, um, uh, yeah, just that whole sequence. I couldn't stop thinking like they use all of these really cool rooftop sequences, all these locations that really seem like they didn't build too much. I I assume like the interiors, the police station and everything obviously sets just to make the camera movement easier. I, I don't know if that's true, but it makes sense to me. But then outdoorsy stuff, that's all like actual San Francisco, as far as mm-hmm. I can tell. And I was just really impressed that they use, you know, the, the entire body of the, the city to kind of tell this story. Um, whereas like subsequent movies, uh, not subsequent Dirty Harry movies, but other movies that are influenced by this, you can definitely tell that they're like, we need to place this in a gritty place. Let's let's call it Chicago and we'll build like a back alley set and some other stuff. And we'll yeah, make it we'll seem shoot some dirty. exteriors on a, some B-roll footage and splice it yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But here I felt like they used everything. They didn't even do like stock B-roll or anything. Just no, like yeah. No, right no. Yeah, I think they shot it for real. The only external scene that is not in San Francisco is the, the shootout at the bank. Mm. And I think that's only out of the ridiculousness of the stunts, like yeah. flipping the car and yeah, all that they can stuff. Need a controlled environment to do that. Yeah. Definitely. So that that one's just like a backlot, Warner backlot kind of deal, or Universal backlot or something uh, yeah. shot. But we, yeah, this is a Warner Brothers movie, right? This was a yep. Warner backlot yeah. shot. Um, 
but there's like the there are a lot of the Bank of America building, which was it's funny from the top of that building, like looking at that skyline and it being such a damn tall building where now I'm like, I think it's in the top five in San Francisco, but you can't really <laughs> fucking see it anymore. Um, and then the uh, the cross in the park, Mount Davidson Park and this the stadium, which is now some other it's like a fucking high school stadium or whatever. But the old football stadium um, is a key place as well right and we see the bridge we see him go across the bridge and like look to alcatraz like there's just a ton of stuff that we see um and i was gonna one one call out when we're seeing the seedy side of town when they're driving by you see that set of like topless bars Mm -hmm. there's like four or five in a row those were like the first topless bars in the united states like that oh it was in san francisco in that particular area was that for a while? It's completely Innovation. changed now. It's, yeah, yeah. San Francisco is gentrified, <laughs> but at the time that was, you know, in the seventies, that's exactly what that was: was the X movies and the and the topless bars all right there on one strip. They just assume like, oh, there's a criminal on the loose. Let's go to the titty bars. That's where. Yeah, we'll drive by and look in the seediest <laughs> places. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're not going to be in the porno theater. That's where all the couples go to watch the couple movies. <laughs> <laughs> um. I want to talk about the kind of the, you know, final sequence of the, the movie where, um, you know, so Scorpio hijacks a school bus and, get, you know, calls the mayor and it's like, I have, you know, like 15 kids and I'm going to kill them and you need to like give me $200,000 in a jet. And, um, you know, that, that scene is so terrifying. Like he is, is, you know, scaring the shit out of these kids and trying to get them to sing row, row, row your boat to like cheer them up and they're just crying and like terrified for their lives. And he's like mad at them and trying to get them to sing. And it's just, I thought that was really well done. And, um, he slaps the shit out of that one. That was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. Just, just kind of a tonal shift a little bit in the movie where like, it always felt like real and you know, the, as investigation is really interesting, but then you get all, Oh shit. Now we got a busload of kids involved and it does it in a way that, feels really terrifying and it doesn't feel like a lot of times I feel like stuff like that in movies can just feel kind of cheesy and and dumb. And I I thought it was really well executed. Well, you think about like, um, I can't help but think about speed because there's a bus involved, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you have a lot of like sequences. I I think that it also um, speaks to the escalation of the movie. Like it, it establishes that this guy is going to just get more and more unhinged as the film goes on because he starts by sniping people at random from the rooftop. Uh, mm-hmm. He has some kind of arbitrary method to picking what, and it's his prejudice, I guess. Um, uh, and then after that, he kidnaps a girl and like rips her tooth out with fucking pliers and buries her, her alive. Rapes her and drops her in the sewer. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, from there, you're like, all right, well, this dude doesn't just kill like adults. He will do whatever the fuck to whoever the fuck. And the moment that he steps on that bus um just as like bus inspector you're like oh god damn it oh boy <laughs> he has no he has no good alibi or cover to be on this bus he's just gonna hijack it take these kids wherever the fuck and and the, like the kids who got off i feel bad because they're gonna find out about their friends later that like traumatic shit happened but <laughs> just watching that sequence go down and wondering i also thought that he would immediately be like all right kids this is a fucking stick up like I'm, you shut your fucking mouths but the fact that he kept singing with them until one of them was like i want to go home why are we going so far somewhere like Mm -hmm. it was weird that he tried to keep up the illusion of taking them to an ice cream store for so long (laughs) 
but he did. What, you don't want fucking ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh my God. Uh, Yeah, the moment that he flips that switch where, yeah, he smacks the kid, that's when it all, he just starts screaming at everybody to keep singing and that it's going to be okay. Um, Yeah, I had no idea what, but the entire time that he was doing that, I thought, again, Ryan, I don't know if you had the same logical conclusion. It's just like, just slam on your brakes, bus driver. Like the dude's not holding oh, on when to he's anything. standing up. Yeah. Like, just fucking, <laughs> but uh, she's terrified that she'll get killed too. And um, yeah, it's like, I mean, she's not going to win. Or a kid fight, gets hurt. Even yeah. If he yeah, flies yeah. Into the, yeah. It's true. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of like, I will say right. kids, like knowing kids, especially kids that age, within like a minute, they would have been like, where the fuck are we going? Why are we going? Like immediately just start yeah. asking. It was too long that they were singing before they were like, wait a minute, this isn't adding up. We're crossing the. They sing row, row, row your boat. Like yeah. 98 times. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't remember us crossing the Golden Gate Bridge to get home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Darla did complain at that point that she was like, he's changed his MO too many times. This isn't believable. I was like, yeah, he's if the he Joker. Was, he doesn't need a reason to do what he does. You know, he yeah. Just does I think if we shit. were presenting this as like, yeah, he's actually like has a mental issue and is a disturbed person, he would stick to his mo. But I do see it as this like, like the Joker. He's just a force of of violence with no care. This is Dark Knight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To Dixon's yeah. Point. <laughs> yeah. It is the best Batman movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I guess before the bus scene, we didn't talk about where he, Scorpio pays some random dude to just beat the shit out of him, gives him $200, and the guy's like, you really want the full $200? And he's like, yeah, keep, give me the whole fucking thing. And, you know, gets the shit beat out of him and then blames Callahan for, for beating him up, which just feels like right-wing cultural backlash to, you know, people blaming the cops for, you know, beating them up. It's like, no, the cops, the cops beat them up. Like, that's what happened. Like, but in this case, you know, yeah. the one time in the world where, you know, somebody got beat up by somebody else and blamed it on the cops. Um, not the one time. Well, he world, had gotten beat up. kind of absurd. Yeah. yeah. He had gotten beat up by him. He had. He had <laughs> been beat up by Harry before. Yeah. 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 So it was, you know. I mean, it kind of deflates the argument a little bit, doesn't it? Where it's just like, well, I, oh, he tries to like retcon it too, doesn't he? He's like, yeah, he beat mm. me up and the, the police department framed me for everything before. And I'm like, no, I mean, they found right. that girl. Like, they know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, is there like um, an underground, like, network of just random people you can pay to beat the shit out of you in San Francisco in 1971? Is that like a sex thing? Or like, what, what, what's the deal with that? It's the uh, premium <laughs> yeah. membership to Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> that, that really took me out of it for a bit. Because, yeah, at first I was like, oh, is he, is he, like, into getting beat up? Is that what's going on? Like, we're mm. on a side tangent here. And then, uh, then I was trying to figure out, like, the whole two hundred dollars. What does fifty dollars get you? Like right, I was a little. Yeah. I started getting to like the negotiation of like. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I want to beat you up, and he service. gives him a price, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I can beat you up for a hundred dollars. What can I get for two hundred dollars? Yeah, <laughs> I can. I can really beat you I up. Can make like you I was trying to figure out that conversation. Yeah. So I was really confused by that scene. I, I won't lie. I did not pick up on what was happening until long after he had been passed out. Uh, which <laughs> I was like initially when he walked in and he was like, "Here's two hundred dollars. Like handle it." I was like, "Oh, he's going to an underground doctor." And <laughs> then the guy puts on the gloves, and I'm like, "Oh, he's going to do like some kind of facial reconstruction shittiness thing where he cuts yep. his face a bunch." It's about basically what he, happened. Yeah, and then he like. <laughs> punches the shit out of him and I was like oh this guy's a shitty doctor and then like when he knocks him over and he's like do you want the rest of it and he's like yeah and he kicks him once I was like that's the rest of it what the fuck and then he kicks him once more and he's like that one's for free and I was like wait no that doesn't add up I don't understand why did you stop right before you're just gonna kick him once 
Uh, yeah, when I when I first saw it, I when I first saw it, I thought that um, they were doing that to like explain why he was fucked up. Like, oh, he's some weird piece of shit that likes getting beat up, and like that's explaining mm-hmm. his character. Like, thankfully, that's not what they were doing. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, he so then he's been beat up severely. He still limps from being stabbed in the leg mm-hmm. after the attack on uh, Callahan. Callahan broke two ribs and something else. They said right. Yep. And they have a chase scene, like multiple chase scenes over a significant distance. And I, I've broken a rib, and I like I turned to Darla. There were like two broken ribs. And I was like, I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. With one, <laughs> I was like, There's no way he's fucking climbing fences and chasing this guy right. and all this, this shit. This is Clint no we're way. talking about here. It's yeah. true, but it, he's twice as it was twice as bad as what. Uh, I had. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. He drank alcohol. <laughs> the solution yeah, yeah, to yeah. the cause of a lot of problems, just like the guns. You have to remember, we are all just absolute pussies compared to Clint Eastwood, you know, so you can't compare your personal experience to what yeah. he, he goes through. <laughs> he, is a, he is a crack shot with a gun that has a ridiculous recoil. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> has a very long barrel, though. <laughs> That's true, true. Uh, yeah, speaking of that final chase sequence, when the school bus comes like over the hill and you see Harry on the bridge yeah. in the distance, that's just so cool. Just such a badass scene and Harry's just standing there like resolute in his sunglasses staring at the bus and Scorpio's like, no, no, <laughs> freaking out. Yeah, that was awesome. There's there's this kind of cool uh, contrasted imagery where I think about like bank robbers, uh, like the train robbers of like uh, the old west and how they would stand on bridges to like hop on the train like the same thing but in reverse where he's the hero hopping on to pull a heist on this like runaway bus it's kind of <laughs> rad and i love the stunt too of him like holding on and just like the bus wrecking into so many things uh, hitting like a volkswagen <laughs> yeah and they got a camera up there on the roof of the bus to show all this is going on yeah it's yeah it's great scene. yeah that was that was good action yeah um why did the why did scorpio run away whenever he crashed the bus shouldn't he have i mean he ran away to take a child hostage elsewhere he had perfectly good child hostages on that bus that's a good point he didn't take he didn't grab that other kid until he saw him later yeah he he just stops the bus and he gets out and runs for it (laughs) yeah (laughs) where they make the rocks for san francisco (laughs) i I love the the ending chase sequence and how it calls back to the earlier scene you know bank robbery scene at the beginning of the film when you know he's chasing him all through this factory and firing shots and you're not sure how many shots he's fired and the way they shoot it you're not really sure sometimes if like the sound of a bullet is coming from his gun or from Scorpio's gun. And, you know, some of them you can obviously tell it's him, but others you can't. And by the end, you're like, was it five? Was it six? Was it seven? I like, I, I'm not really sure exactly. And then, you know, the big speech at the end that mirrors the one at the beginning of the, the bit I did at the, the start of the podcast where, um, you know, he's like, I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? And goes through that whole thing. And, you know, in the opening scene, the guy like gives up and then it turns out Harry's out of bullets and shoots, uh, you know, nothing at him. And in this case, Scorpio just like lets out this horrifying shriek and lunges for his gun and Harry just blows him away and into the river. Yeah. But which the, the shot he pulled right before that was he did not give a fuck. That Scorpio had a kid as a hostage. He just shot Scorpio straight up. Oh dude. He didn't even yeah. aim. Like, he just sort of pulled the gun out and was like, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, he was like faking like he was going to drop the gun and then just whipped it up super fast. And, you know, he's just a crack shot. He can just shoot it right barely over the kid's head into Scorpio's shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know why he didn't Western... shoot him in the face. Um, but, yeah, if you know. he's such a right. crack shot, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> that, that's some Western movie shit right there, oh, right? Yeah. To like uh, shoot the guy that's got the hostage. 
Yeah. Uh, do you think that that uh, he, he said that phrase before the first scene we see it? Oh, yeah. Like how many? Is this like a Jules Winfield situation where he thinks it's a badass thing to say every <laughs> single time? That's right. Right before he wastes punks. <laughs> before he arrests every single person. It's like, do you haven't even fired your gun? Like you just yeah. approached yeah. me for like jaywalking. I didn't even know you had a gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he probably does though, right? He probably takes it out. Even for like oh, yeah. the littlest of situations, uh-huh. when he Do starts you know following a guy down an alley that has a brown suitcase, he pulls his gun out. You know, like this. Yeah, he's every tail lights out, be- and then he pulls the gun out. <laughs> his gun's name is Miranda Rights. <laughs> Sir, you were going sixty in a fifty-five. <laughs> he's got his gun tapping the window with his gun. You know how fast the forty-four Magnum goes in a fifty-five. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I really actually, I also love about that last chase sequence um, that they use so much of that like refinery. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not just because if it was just Harry and Scorpio running around and uh, trying to shoot each other for too long, it'd feel like a laser tag match. (laughs) Just like I'm hiding behind this wall and over here. But the camera moves to so many different unique spots where they're trying to find new vantage points to see each other or that one sequence where uh harry is like riding on the fucking rock belts the uh, yeah. belt which is pretty sick um, yeah the factory is in operation while they're running through and trying to kill each other it's a really cool scene i love the guy that they run by he's just like what are you doing here it's like muffled <laughs> <laughs> trying to talk to his mask can't see shit <laughs> it's great um but yeah like that that is kind of that freshness you look for in any kind of chase sequence uh i think so many movies after that failed because they didn't have enough budget to do those kind of shots or to fit the camera in there. And so what you end up with is how many cuts can we make to show you that the characters are just running down blocks of streets and like trying to keep up with them that way. But here they use so much geometry within the, the actual uh, factory itself that you're like, Oh shit, how is Harry going to see this guy? Or does he know that he's like able to see him through this crack over here? And like, it adds to the tension of it. But even the like shootout from the roof, mm-hmm. like the the two roofs over to each other, you know, using the Jesus lives sign above it is is pretty cool, right? And then that getting shot out, and then we have that over the you know over these two rooftops, and then kind of a you know rush down the stairs. That's honestly could be done pretty cheap, and it was good, right? It was well mm-hmm. shot, yeah. Um, because you can just use some like simple like. If you want to be really lazy, you could just like throw rocks at the neon sign or something <laughs> and make it look like it was bullets. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that even the like simple er action scenes in this movie are done well with good tension. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We so, yeah. We didn't talk about how during that scene or right before the Jesus save scene, um, Harry creeps on a naked woman. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Just straight up. You know, you owe it to yourself, Harry, to live a little. <laughs> yeah. He's so confused. Twice. twice. Like, she op- start naked, opens the door to, like, a couple, like, a man and woman as guests and invites them into the apartment. And he's yep. just, the look on his face is like, what the fuck is this fucked up shit going on here? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that, and then after he realizes that the, the guy with the, the suitcase is not his oh, yeah. perp. And then he just hangs out to watch. Was it Hot, Hot Mary? Mary. Hot, Hot Mary. <laughs> yeah, he just hangs around to watch Hot yeah. Mary for a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's why they call him Dirty Harry. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. Seeing as we yeah. twice saw him just like 
not pay attention to his job at all. Oh man, if you find <laughs> out that the some boobs were there, has a sexual harassment record at HR and the police department, <laughs> just like eh. He acts like this is a rare thing, you know. He's like, oh, Harry, you owe it to yourself that uh, let, let let loose a little. But this this is something that happens like three times a day on yeah. the job. He's just constantly <laughs> yeah. getting distracted by boobs. I just yeah, just put that in any sequence here. He's going up to see the guy <laughs> who's going to jump, and he's like, I got a pair of binoculars. You want to see something cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he stops one floor down. <laughs> it's like, hang it's on like a second. House. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The only other thing that I uh, wanted to comment on was, of course, the uh, the Simpsons parody of McGarnacle. Yes. Uh, which yes. is great. You know, when they have the McGarnacle as the Dirty Harry character who's just like breaking all the rules in the you know cop station and the the police chief always like god damn it mcgarnacle you've done it again you son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) gotta do it for me billy you gotta do it for mcgarnacle okay for you mcgarnacle well mcgarnacle billy is dead they slit his throat from ear to ear hey I'm trying to eat lunch here. Uh, yeah, between that and like the Naked Gun series, which I believe uh, has its own bits, like they do the um, I don't want an incident like what happened last time or whatever in in this oh, avenue. Yeah. Oh, Drebin, I don't want any more trouble like you had last year on the South Side. Understand? That's my policy. Yes. Well, when I see five weirdos dressed in togas stabbing a guy in the middle of the park in full view of a hundred people, I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. That was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar, you moron. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the, the 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 what I think of as the last action hero. You know, it's because oh. questionable as that movie is, but the the guy at the beginning like dies and is like, uh, one day from retirement, and then he kills him <laughs> and yeah. dies. And then yeah, the 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 his police chief in that movie is absolutely the caricature of the police chief is like, You're too loose, you're too crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then we see like I guess from here, once the movie's over, this is where like everything took off for Dirty Harry being such a pop culture influence to the point where now it's like parodied not just in like The Simpsons, um, and uh obviously like Naked Gun has its own cop parody stuff, but you even see it come into like different comedy forms with like the other guys where they just deconstruct <laughs> that myth of like badasses who are immortal who Love can that like movie. break yeah. two ribs and keep running and that kind of shit. But uh having it, sex with all the women <laughs> that we have, we don't want to, but we do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um well yeah that that's kind of a call to any listeners out there to submit your favorite parodies of Dirty Harry. Um oh, I'm yeah. curious how many are out there uh beyond the ones we've listed. I'm sure there's tons. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other any other thoughts on the movie? Yeah, I feel like we we uh, picked yeah, it I clean. Think we covered what I had. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, John, would you recommend this movie? Uh, I would recommend this movie. I would recommend it, but I would also have to. I feel like now when I recommend it, I have to preface it to my friends and be like, "Look, I, I don't endorse what this movie is about, but yeah, it's pretty fucking cool." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but there's, which is how I pitched the Punisher 2004. So, you know, yeah, you're used to this kind of thing. thing yeah. John. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally fine. You have to say that qualification about the majority of movies that you recommend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. It is just one more drop in the bucket. <laughs> I promise I'm, I'm okay. Everyone. That's <laughs> why so I knew you would like this movie when I picked it. It's like, John's going to be completely on board with this. Oh yeah. I loves me some, some high quality exploitation. <laughs> uh, Ryan, what about you? Yeah, 
I said I was mixed on it, but I'm not gonna be like John and sit sit on the fence. Like <laughs> I, I will recommend it. I do think it's it it is a classic movie. It's culturally important, right? The like touchstone of it in pop culture. And I do think as a as a movie of the early 70s of the time, like representing kind of what was going on in in people's minds um, and seeing some of the early change in movies to these more clearly adult movies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like very right out adult movies um, that, that it fits there. Uh, Darla was a, a nope on this. She said it was a pass. She was like it. it because I think from her standpoint, like one, she likes characters that you can identify with or like, and mm. there really isn't anyone necessarily likable in this. Chico, um, you could say. Um, but yeah, yeah Chico maybe, becomes a teacher. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he gives up and just decides to be he a teacher. In, she believes uh, <laughs> in children, the second most precious natural resource behind oil and gas. And banks. And banks. Yeah, yeah. sorry. The third most <laughs> precious natural resource behind those things. D- D- Darla at one point was like, okay, Chico's either going to get shot and die or save Dirty Harry. And when he comes running up on Dirty Harry at the cross and he shoots the or he shoots at the guy and misses and then the guy shoots him, I was like, why not both? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he managed to survive though, but but it was close. It was close to both. But he killed um, his I think she just yeah. yeah, she thought it was a, a little too ridiculous, which it it is ridiculous, but it's kind of just like that's you have to give all that up. Yeah, for because sure. you're wanting to see like an action movie. And there are so many like popcorn fluff action movies now that that wasn't really the case. Oh, yeah. Then. This is yep. so much right. better than the majority of modern action movies. Yeah, and I, I think John yeah Wick that this one side. was was yeah. really trying. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, none of the Fast and Furious movies, and not John. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, I would obviously recommend this movie. Um, you know, same caveat around the uh, politics of of this film that are pretty atrocious. Um, but I think the movie is just so good. It's it's just so well executed. And if you like cop movies, if you like action movies, you will definitely like it. But even if you don't, and you just like good movies with good scripts that are well executed shot well good score like you know that's just so rare uh anymore in in modern movies i think it it's definitely worth watching so it's rare in, in modern popular movies it's, yes in still... modern popular that's what i mean my, yeah. my like warner brothers movies yeah, right yeah, yeah. like uh you know uh well that brings this episode to a close uh i have been your host michael dixon with me as always john garcia uh, thanks, uh, Dixon, for, for running this. Thanks for picking Dirty Harry. That was great. And uh, let's all remember who the real villain was back then. Leaded gasoline. Leaded gasoline <laughs> caused so much fucking delirium and insanity. <laughs> Are you saying that leaded gasoline was the, like, the cause of the modern right-wing movement? Like oh, the yes. Gold that's water exactly era? what. It took 20 years for us to stop letting the gasoline after wow. we discovered it was bad. Uh, it led to Reaganism. We all know that. Uh, so, you know, there yeah. you go. <laughs> interesting take. Interesting take. Uh, and Ryan King. We hope you got every penny of your $200 worth. (laughs) 